0: Okay, so we've already quoted Matthew 5, 1 through 4, and we're going to begin talking about Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Would you please put your hand on the Word of God, and let's pray over the Scriptures that it will find a resting place in our lives. Lord, we know that your Word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, that it pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. It discerns our thoughts and the intense of our hearts. Lord, we welcome the ministry of your word to us tonight. Would you speak to us? Would you convict us? Would you establish us more firmly in you? May we be rooted and grounded in your love and in your scriptures. Open our minds to understand. Lord, may we have humble hearts to receive your implanted, your engrafted word that will bear fruit in us and through us. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the most common interpretation of Matthew 5:4 is that those who mourn their sin will be forgiven and the primary function of the law is to produce godly sorrow that leads to repentance. That's why God gave the law so that the people would know that they need God. It would show them the difference between righteousness, righteousness and unrighteousness. We've all broken God's laws. We all deserve judgment. But if in repentance we turn from our sin and confess our sin to God, He will forgive us and He will comfort us with His mercy. So that's the most basic interpretation of this scripture. Blessed are those who mourn, for God will comfort them with His mercy. He will forgive them. God mourns and is familiar with our suffering not because He has sin. He never mourns His own sin because He has never had sin. He never will have sin." But he does mourn our sin. Very familiar with suffering, as you know, from Isaiah 53. In fact, I'd like us to read a few verses there. Go to Isaiah 53. We're going to read verses 3 through 6. This is a messianic chapter speaking of the Messiah to come. And as you know, Jesus fulfilled this about 600 years later when he came as the Son of God and as the Messiah. Isaiah 53, verse 3 says, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we too did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. We thought God was afflicting him. But, verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus suffered not only during his passion during his trial his scourging his crucifixion he had suffered previous to that with all kinds of rejection mocking abandonment and so he's well acquainted with grief he's well acquainted with sorrow god still suffers with the evil that he sees in the world and with the pain of people and and we are wrong when we think that if god is really God that he's incapable of suffering. But and then if we think God is so big he cannot suffer, then that naturally leads us to think that because we're his children, he will make sure we don't suffer either. He'll make sure we're kept happy, healthy, we never need to suffer. That's a false gospel. It's a self-centered gospel because it makes us think that We will want God to use his infinite resources just to make us comfortable. But Jesus didn't come to make us comfortable. He didn't even come to make us happy. He came to make us holy. He came to make us his children, his sons and daughters. Jesus came to save the world from perishing, not just to make us comfortable. He wants to reveal Jesus to a lost world. And so we, as his children, as his people, we might suffer at times. And it might be part of his working in our lives. It might be because he wants to use our sufferings to actually share his gospel and his love to others. Many years ago, I had a chronic, intense back situation. And I was looking for back surgery. It didn't work out at the time. But we were pastoring in Jerusalem with a a few other pastors of an international congregation. All the people were praying for me, small church, you know, 250 people. They all knew I had this chronic back situation. They knew I was looking for surgery. I was looking for help. They were praying for healing. They were praying for good doctors, whatever. I went away. I was supposed to come back healed in one way or another. That's what everyone thought. That's what I thought. God's going to meet with me. He's either going to heal me or he's going to give me the right doctor to fix my back. So we went away. And when we came back, I, it didn't work out to have surgery. Nothing changed to my condition except that it got worse. So when we came back, Reuben said, you know they're gonna call you up on the stage and you're gonna have to speak to the people. And I said, what am I gonna say? I'm not healed. I'm still in a whole lot of pain. I, I still am handicapped basically with this. And he said, I don't know what you're gonna say, but you need to say something so you just better prepare. All I could do was pray, you know, Lord, what do you want me to say? So that night this is in the heart of jerusalem i got up on the stage and i said thank you so much for your prayers i'm so grateful that you've walked with us with with me through this trial i'm sorry to say that i'm not healed and i'm not fixed doctors couldn't do a thing for me i may live this way until i'm totally crippled and then i'll live in a wheelchair and that's that's all they say so I love the Lord I trust him with my life and I just want to thank you again for supporting me and praying for us and I went and sat down felt really stupid so after the service was over a lady came to me and she said I've been asking a Jewish friend of mine to come to the services And she's come a couple of times. She's never been interested in the Lord at all. She's never wanted a Bible. She's never wanted to hear about Jesus. But tonight, she turned to me and said, Can I have a New Testament? I want to read about this Jesus. And she said, Sure, I'll I'll get you one. But what's changed your mind? She said, That lady on the stage that never got healed. She said, All of us Jewish people have been suffering for centuries. We don't serve a God that's always victorious and rescues us from our pain. We walk through the pain, and because she's walking through her pain with faith, I want to have faith like that, and I want to know her Messiah. So sometimes God can use our pain for his purposes, and if our heart is really to see him glorified, and to see people come into the kingdom of God, we will be willing to walk through pain so that that is the result of it. The early believers are an example of suffering for the sake of people seeing Jesus in them. They suffered torture rather than renounce the Lord, not only for Jesus' sake, but also for the sake of those who would see Jesus in them if they endured. And if they did not endure, they would see that he was not sufficient for them. So their suffering was a testimony to people. We need to be willing to undergo whatever it takes to show God's love to others. Jesus suffered crucifixion. Paul was flogged, spent many years in prison. John was exiled. You know, that's the Apostle John. He lived to be the oldest disciple. I don't know if you're all familiar with him. But they so wanted to silence John that they tried to boil him in oil and he would not die. In the kettle of oil, he was still preaching the gospel to them anyone that was close enough to hear. Then they tried to poison him and made him drink poison. He didn't die. Just like it says in Mark 16, you'll drink poison and it won't affect you. Nothing happened to him. He never got sick. So then they exiled him to the Isle of Patmos. And it was while he was there that he got the revelation of Jesus and wrote the last book in the Bible. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Man, aren't you glad he didn't die in the other times? We wouldn't have that book. Well, I guess the Lord would have revealed it to someone else. But he lived to be an old man into his 80s, and he died a nice death in the city of Ephesus, and he took care of Jesus' mother up until the time she died, just like Jesus asked him to do at the cross. Remember at the cross while he's dying? And he said, John, behold your mother, and mother, behold your son. And he linked them together. God always puts people with people. I'm so glad he's put all of us together. And if anyone could adjust this air conditioner i'll give you a dollar <laughs> it is cold can anyone do anything about this carl i'll owe you a dollar man up and won't the a won't Oh, <laughs> no but some of these women might want to i'm seeing them cuddling up with their jackets and stuff first time i've been cool all day oh thanks lynn it's all for you i think Okay, but if it's warmer back there, then those of you that are really cold might want to move to the back. Like Mom and Jen. Anyone, else? Anyone of you that are really hot, move on up. We've got free tables up here. Okay, otherwise we'll all stay the same. I just thought I would better mention it because it's kind of like the elephant in the room. Everyone knows we're all freezing to death and no one's saying a word about it. So, 1 Peter 2.21 says you have been called for this purpose hey it went off yes you have been called for this purpose since christ suffered for you leaving you an example to follow in his steps jesus is our example he suffered and part of his example wasn't just in holiness wasn't just in kingdom strategy and making disciples it was also in suffering so we shouldn't be surprised when we are appointed to suffering. I want you to turn please to First Thessalonians chapter three. First Thessalonians three. Paul the apostle wrote this book. verses 1 through 4 he says therefore when we could no longer endure it we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy our brother and minister of God our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith that no one should be shaken by these afflictions for you yourself know that we are appointed to this For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened, and you know. So Paul's speaking about his own tribulations. He's also probably referring to some of their tribulations. So he said in verse 3, you know we're appointed to this. It shouldn't surprise us that tribulation and suffering and trials is a part of our kingdom life. Don't fear tribulation. Don't fear suffering. Don't shrink back from it. Unbelievers on earth suffer as well. It's not just believers that suffer. The unbelievers also suffer, and they don't have a line to heaven. They don't have a Messiah. They don't have the Comforter, Holy Spirit. They don't have a Helper. They don't have the Holy Spirit living within them and upon them, empowering them and sustaining them as they walk through trials. You know, when I was much younger and I went through a really rough trial and I thought for a very brief time, I thought, I don't know that I'm going to witness to too many people because it really is hard to be a believer. And then I, later, not too much later, I thought, but I've got Jesus walking with me through this. I've got the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I've got the love of God the Father. I've got the grace of Jesus. The unbelievers don't have that. And they all have trials too. That's why the suicide rate has gone up so high. There is no redeeming purpose in their pain, but there is redeeming purpose in the things that we walk through. Let's go to Revelation chapter 2. Remember, Reuben said last week that each beatitude matches with the churches in Revelation 2 and 3. So now that we're looking at the second beatitude, those who mourn, part of mourning is suffering, it's trials, it's not just mourning our sin. It's mourning in general, so that's why I'm talking about this portion of mourning and suffering. Revelation 2, the church in Smyrna, it starts in verse 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These things, says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Man, that'd be good to underline in your Bibles. Because the cancel culture is coming after the believers. Already hitting some of them. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation ten days. But be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. That's a wonderful promise. Be faithful unto death, and I, Jesus himself, will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. So what's it mean when he says you will have tribulation ten days? The commentators I read... That it's a limited short period of time Not necessarily 10 exact days But it's a limited period of time That's always encouraging to hear So Jesus said don't be afraid to suffer He encouraged them to be faithful to death He reminded them that he had conquered death And life followed for him And life would follow for them as well Some people have to suffer In order to have the depth of relationship That God wants to have with them The Apostle Paul wrote, I've lost all things. I count them but rubbish that I may win Christ. And that's Philippians 3.8. So he, he suffered a lot in the flesh, but right here he's saying, I've suffered the loss of all things. My reputation, my home, my friends, anything that ever mattered to me, I suffered the loss of it all so that I could win Jesus Christ. King David said, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. That's Psalm 119, verse 67. So affliction is beneficial if it brings us into greater obedience and richer fellowship with Jesus. (coughs) Sorry. Anytime we experience loss, suffering, suffering, or have broken hearts we are candidates for god's comfort and for greater intimacy with jesus so if you're going through a time of suffering trial broken heart broken spirit tremendous disappointment a real shaking in your life use this time to press in closer to the lord find a deeper place of intimacy with him The late Richard Warmbrand spent years in a communist prison in Romania. He said the intimacy with Jesus was so rich inside the prison that he felt sorry for those on the outside. Now that's some serious intimacy with Jesus. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians 1. So blessed are those who mourn as they're going through suffering, as they're going through sorrow, as they're grieving, because they will be comforted. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5, Paul starts out saying, Blessed to be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. So as we suffer, as we go through a hard time, and we avail ourselves of the comfort of Jesus, then as other people suffer, we can share that comfort with them. It doesn't just stay with us. We don't just turn a blind eye to others. We don't develop a hard heart toward them. We allow our sufferings to build compassion in us, and then we get alongside other people as they suffer, and we comfort them and console them. I want to point out the word comfort in this passage. It's not a weak comfort where you pat someone on the back and say, I'm so sorry for your loss. It's a strong comfort comfort The Greek word says it's strength intensive as steel to the backbone. So when you comfort someone, you encourage them, you're putting steel into their backbone. You're helping them walk tall. You're helping them walk straight. You're helping them keep going forward and not back up. Many of the promises in scripture have to do with God going through our trials with us. He doesn't always protect us from difficulty but he's always with us in it, like we know from Psalm 23, verse 4. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. They put steel in my backbone. They enable me to walk forward with faith and with fervent passion for the Lord Jesus. I brought a back brace with me to show you, and this illustrates this truth so well. makes noise, sorry. So the back brace is, is real simple. Just put it around you. It's usually for the lower back. Tuck it in, bring it around, and it holds, you, holds your back up straighter. Does it heal the back? No, but it lifts you up off the pain. It lifts you up off the damaged nerves and off of the muscle spasms. So it doesn't heal what's going on, but it supports you in it. That's often what the Lord does with us. He doesn't always rescue us out of it. Sometimes he supports us in it. He sustains us in it. The power of the Holy Spirit written about in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Remember Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and all the world, but yeah, but power, the power of God will come upon you at that point. And the word for power is dunamis, and it means the explosive power, the healing power, the miraculous power, but it also means the sustaining power of God. And we need both, right? We need to be able to lay hands on the sick, pray for them, and see them healed. That's the explosive power. But if they don't get healed, then they need the power of the Holy Spirit to continue to walk with Him being sustained by the dynamite power of God. We need explosive and sustaining power. So the back brace is more the sustaining power of God. John 13, John 16, I'm sorry, verse 33 says, Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, you will have hard times, but be encouraged because I've overcome the world. When the daughter of William Booth was put in prison, she was put in a dark chamber in Switzerland, and God inspired her to write a hymn, and some of the words were these, Best beloved of my soul, I am here alone with thee, and my prison is a heaven since you share it here with me. So here she is in a dark dungeon, in a prison, and she's saying, It's heaven, because you're here with me. The church in Smyrna in Revelation 2 had suffered and would suffer some more, but they would also experience the presence of God like never before in their affliction. They would learn that the presence of God is the greatest gain of all, much more important than comfort, much more important than convenience much more important than having enough food to eat or being without pain it's the presence of God that we need you guys we need the presence of God in our daily lives that's why we get up early we get into the scriptures we go into a season of prayer we touch heaven with our prayers we we align ourselves with the kingdom of God we receive of His life. We receive of His Spirit so we can walk out into our daily life and carry Jesus with us. And then with the power of the Spirit as He comes upon us. You know, He comes in us at salvation. But then He also comes upon us in power and He lives through us and He blesses many people through us. That's, that's part of the glorious adventure of walking with Jesus. It's not boring. Walking with Jesus is anything but boring. But if we don't walk in the presence of God, if we don't spend time in the morning imbibing of His Spirit, and filling ourselves with His presence, hearing His Word, receiving His love, forgiving others, receiving forgiveness ourselves, setting our day in prayer, then often we'll walk through the day and we don't carry the presence of God at all. We're missing out on it and the people that we're rubbing shoulders with or missing out as well. So there's, uh, well, what's the time? We won't look there. Okay, so there's another suffering with Jesus I want to mention. So there's the suffering, the uh, mourning our sin. He comforts us with forgiveness. And then there's the suffering of trials, temptations, that he comes alongside us in our pain, and he comforts us, and he comforts others through us. And then there's a third one, That we like to talk about and that is suffering with him that we choose to enter into and that is intercession. It's carrying the Lord's burdens with him where we perceive his heart for the needy, for the lonely, for the hurting, for the lost. And so we die to comfort, we die to time spent on ourselves to wrestle in prayer for somebody else. And often that can, be, that can be painful. I've seen people weep and wail in prayer on behalf of other people. And it is painful. I saw a man one time on the floor groaning. He couldn't speak in English or in tongues. He was groaning with the prayer burden that he carried. And, and I actually thought he might be having a heart attack. It was that like traumatic and there are times that a prayer burden comes on us or we even invite it Lord what's on your heart today what can I pray for that you are burdened about are you burdened about what's happening in in Ukraine and Russia are you burdened about what's happening on the border are you burdened about the sex trafficking that's going on what about the women that have had abortions and now they have so much regret What about the women now that are pregnant and don't know what to do? Because they can't have an abortion in some states. Lord, how do you feel about all that? And you lay yourself before the Lord and say, Lord, pray through me. Let me pray your prayers. Let me co labor with you. Because if we don't pray what's on his heart, then he suffers alone. He's the only one carrying his burdens. And we're called by his name. We are his sons and daughters. We are the very people who should carry his burdens with him. And so we need to avail ourselves to him, not spend all of our time on our devices or doing all kinds of other things that really don't last for eternity. We need to do the things that last for eternity. We have so little time. And so we avail ourselves, maybe kneel by your bed and say, Lord, here I am. What do you want me to pray about today? What's on your heart? What is breaking your heart? You know, there's the prayer and also the song that says, Break my heart with what breaks yours. We sing that with dry eyes. We don't even let our hearts be broken with what breaks his. We need to mature more into this. I believe he wants us to. I believe there's a place in God for each one of us that we haven't yet gotten to. And I don't know about you, but I don't wanna miss it. I don't wanna miss it. There's a preciousness in his presence, but there's also a depth of passion of filling his heart knowing what he is saying and doing by his spirit and agreeing with him in prayer. Let's don't just be normal people that walk the streets of Waco. Let's be kings and queens and sons and daughters of the living God that walk with that royal priesthood. We hear from him. We voice it back to him. We hear his voice for others and we voice it to them. We need to let ourselves feel the agony of the world around us. When we see troubling circumstances and hurting people like the Lord himself does, our hearts might break, and that would be good, and out of that brokenness can come prayers that move the heart and the hand of God. God wants to do things through his body. We're his hands and his feet. He wants to use us in his kingdom. And if we will pray prayers that will move his heart, then they will also move his hands. When we see another person's pain or loss, it should move us to pray. Hebrews 5 7 says of Jesus, In the days of his flesh, he offered up prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his his piety. Now, most people think this is pointing to the Garden of Gethsemane, but it says he offered up prayers and supplications with loud crying in the days of his flesh, more than one day. So I believe there are a number of times that Jesus cried out to his father. You know, when he saw the needs of the multitude, I don't think he went before the father and just said, Hello, Dad, you know, and was just very calm and casual with the father. I imagine he cried out before the Father. Father, how can these needs be met? What do you wanna do? Because I'm only gonna do what I see you doing. I'm only gonna say what I hear you saying. What are you gonna do about these needs and how can I be a part of that? We too can lift our voices in prayer even with loud crying and tears as we approach God on behalf of others. Man, I wanna challenge you guys. Get out of your comfort zone in your prayer lives. Don't just pray comfortably. And don't just pray with dry eyes. Get beyond your comfort zones and connect with the heart of God. We must allow ourselves to grieve with human suffering and injustice. Thousands are dying because of terrorism, wars, trafficking, disasters, disease. Multitudes are homeless, starving, and living in poverty. And Jesus says we're blessed if we can grieve over these things. Blessed are you who mourn. There's a blessing for you if you'll mourn over these things as you intercede for them. When we carry God's burdens with him and to him in prayer, we suffer with him. We receive his comfort as he lifts the burdens and as he answers the prayers. We may not all be called to suffer for Jesus, but we all have the obligation to suffer with him. And we do that best through intercessory prayer. Blessed are they who mourn their sin, I'm wrapping up, who mourn their sin, believers and unbelievers, be genuinely repentant for they will receive the comfort of reconciliation and peace with God along with eternal life. Blessed are they that mourn, suffering voluntarily or involuntarily, for God comforts them. He understands their suffering because he suffered himself. He enters into their sufferings with them. He enlarges their prisons by sharing them with, with sharing them. Those who suffer are, are comforted, and even able to rejoice in their afflictions because of his precious presence. And blessed are they who mourn, carrying a burden of prayer for others and interceding until God answers. Their suffering and intercession will result in the comfort of god's presence and in the comfort and provision for the ones for whom they pray friends let's go higher and deeper with jesus let's make sure there's no sin that separates us from him that's the first step no sin between us and him no unforgiveness no bitterness no carrying a grudge no resentment Nothing between my soul and my Savior, as the song says. So first we make sure we are comforted in the area of forgiveness. We have fully confessed our sins to him. And he's forgiven us of all of our sins. That's our first level of comfort. But let's also not be shallow Christians that resist hardship and suffering. That feel angry with God for what he allows. That question is goodness, that resist him, that pull away during hard times. Let's rather use the hard times to press us in closer to him, because he is good. Let's use our sufferings as leverage to a more intimate, precious, intercessory relationship with him. You know it says in Philippians 3:10, Paul said, "My one determined purpose is that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection." and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformed to his death and there are a lot of believers that start stop with the first one i want to know him i want to know him and it's wonderful to know him and we do want to know him and then some go to the next phase i want to know the power of his resurrection that's the power of the holy spirit it's the holy spirit that raised him from the dead i want to know the power of his resurrection the explosive power and the sustaining power and some stop right there they get on a glory mountain and they just stop there they're having so much fun having victory in the lord and loving him and walking in his power there are far fewer that will take the next step and say i want to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings not my sufferings he, he already knows our sufferings he's with us in our sufferings are we with him in his sufferings paul said I don't only want him with me in my suffering. I want to be with him in his suffering. The fellowship of his suffering. That's where the rubber meets the road, right? And then he says, I'll be conformed to his death. Then I will be Christ-like. It's suffering that's going to get us there to be more like Jesus. We don't become more like Jesus when life is easy. It's when it's hard. And we're applying the word of God to our lives. And we've got an active prayer life. And we become more and more and more like Jesus. We apply his word. We don't just read it. But we also walk through it with him through easy times and hard times, the fellowship of his sufferings, and then we're made conformed to his death. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your blood and the power of your blood that forgives all of our sin. Thank you for comforting us through your forgiveness. Lord, that's how we came into the kingdom, and that's how we stay in the kingdom. We continue to bring before you our shortcomings, our sins, our transgressions, our iniquities. And even today, Lord, would you cleanse us again with the blood of Jesus? Would you wash over our spirits, our souls, even our bodies with the blood of Jesus and set us apart for yourself again? And Lord, those of us that are going through hard times, hardships, sufferings, Lord, I pray that we would know your presence, a a deep sense of your presence more than we ever have. I pray, Lord, that there would be an intimacy with you that we would all move into on a whole new level. And then, Lord, I pray that you would allow us to co-labor with you in prayer, to share your burdens with you, even to fellowship with you in what you suffer about and what hurts you. And we carry that in prayer to see your kingdom come and your will done in those situations and in those lives. Lord, in this wicked world, who do we have but you that we can pray and trust and believe and declare, may your kingdom come and your will be done in this city, in this state, in this nation and in the nations of the world. Be glorified, Jesus. We love you, Lord. I pray it all in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, our groups are a bit different tonight because uh, a number of our people are at the CareNet banquet. If you're not familiar with that, that's the banquet to raise money for CareNet. They take care of uh, pregnant girls and women that have had abortions and so forth. And so, um, sorry, let me just turn this machine off.